0: Well, good morning. good morning. So good to see you. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 128 uh, this morning, A happy Father's Day again. I hope you got a donut this morning, and uh, if you didn't, I think we got some left over if you want one after the service, but happy Father's Day. Uh, Father's Day is an important day. It's the day you stop, you remember, you uh, stop and honor your your dad, and that's, that's the most important gift that you can give a, a dad on Father's Day, to remember him, even... If, if, he's, if he's alive, if he is no longer with us, to stop and remember him, to honor him, to thank God for him. Maybe this is a difficult day for some of us because of a broken relationship between you and an earthly father. So maybe it brings up some, some pain and some wounds in your heart. But I want you to know if that's you, this is a good place for you to be this morning. Because if you're in Christ, you have a heavenly father who loves you. He is not an absent father. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And I pray that this morning that he'll minister to your heart in a really special way on this Father's Day. And also on Father's Day, to honor dads, it also gives me an opportunity to share some dad jokes. Oh, yeah. All right. See if you can just keep a straight face with a few of these. All right. I asked my wife when her birthday is. Oh, by the way, today is Father's Day. It's my wife's birthday. And it's our anniversary. All right. There you go. Trifecta. Sure, if you're going to do that, give her, give her a hand for her birthday or something. There you go. No golf claps, but, yes. Yeah, so it's our, our, we got married on her birthday, so it's, it's a good thing it helps me remember that day, but it's also a bad thing if I ever forget it, all right? It's not good, all right? But where was I at with the dad joke? Here it is. I asked my wife when her birthday is. She said March 1st, so I walked around the room in an upright posture and asked her again. All right, some of you got that. My wife told me to put ketchup on the shopping list and now I can't read anything. I love the groans with dad jokes. I love it. I love it. Uh, I love this one. My wife asked if I've seen the dog bowl. I said I never knew he did. All right, here's here's another, here's the last one, all right? I told my wife that she needs to embrace her mistakes and she immediately gave me a hug. All right, I'll, I, I'm going to end there. End while I'm ahead, all right? I will not quit my day job and become a stand-up comic anytime soon. Got to love dad jokes, but again, happy Father's Day. It's a day to reflect again on your own father. It's a day to also think about what it means to be a father. Amen. Today, a lot of this message is going to be geared, geared towards you. And the Bible is very clear. It teaches us that, man, you have a significant role to play in society. You have a significant responsibility in your home and in this church. You know, women do as well, right? We celebrated that a few weeks ago on Mother's Day. But this morning, the focus is going to be on men. Now, my intention is not to just bludgeon the men this morning. A lot of times it's like it's been said you invite all the women to church on Mother's Day and tell them how awesome and wonderful they are. And then you invite all the men to church on Father's Day and just tell them how much they stink. That's not my intention today. Alright, so I do hope you're encouraged, but I do want you to be challenged from God's Word. I do, I do want you to feel the weight of your responsibility that God's given you as a man. I want to exhort us today what, about what it means to be what Psalm 128 is going to show us as a blessed, God-fearing man who's making an eternal difference in the lives of people around him for the glory of God in such a way that it's impacting future generations down his line. And I want you to know, just because you're not a biological or adoptive father of a child today, every man needs to hear this message this morning. Every man needs to know today that we have a responsibility to make an eternal impact as Christ followers on the people around us for the glory of God. And that's not just true of every man, that's true of every woman, that's true of every boy, every girl. We can all learn from this passage, this text this morning. At times you're going to maybe be tempted to think, this stuff doesn't apply to me. No, it does. It applies to you because it applies to people in your church family. So it gives you things to pray for in their life. And I believe there are going to be things here that you're also going to be able to draw out and apply to your own life. But again, the special focus of this message is going to be towards our men. So let's stand and open God's Word. And I'm going to read in Psalm 128, beginning in verse 1. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Would you have a seat as I pray? Father, we, on this Father's Day, a day that we honor our earthly fathers, Lord, we come to you and we honor you today. We worship you. We're so thankful that you are a perfect, good, loving, benevolent, all ever present heavenly father in our life. Lord, we're thankful that this morning we can lift our eyes to you. We're thankful this morning, Lord, that we can have confidence that you are sovereign God in control of every happening in this world and in our life. we're thankful that we can trust you this morning and we're thankful that you are good. We're thankful for salvation. We're thankful for what you did, how you demonstrated your love for us while we were in our sin and sending your son to die on the cross for us. You are such a good father. And so, Lord, we're thankful that we can lift our eyes ultimately to you and you give us the help that we need to be the God-fearing fathers and husbands and men and women and even kids here today who are seeking to follow you. You give us the help that we need to do that. And we give you the glory for that. We ask that you would help us, Lord. As we get into your word this morning, this is your word, God. It's perfect. It's holy. It's infallible. It's inerrant. It's sufficient. It's living. It's active. And so, Lord, I pray that it would work in our lives as we lean into it, as we lay our lives next to it, as we put ourselves under the teaching of it with teachable hearts, that your spirit would take it, it would conform our lives by it more to the image of Christ for your glory. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 We see here at the beginning of this text in verse 1, the very first word that we see there is the word blessed. All right, It starts with the word blessed, which is a word that just simply means happy. Uh, pursuing happiness isn't a controversial idea in our culture. Every human heart under the sun is on a quest for what they perceive as happiness. Every human heart is on a happiness quest. Everybody's looking for happiness. Everybody is searching for soul-quenching satisfaction, but few are finding it. Everybody's looking for satisfaction. Nobody can find it. Even Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones are still hobbling around on a stage somewhere on a live tour looking for satisfaction but not being able to find it. I can't get no satisfaction. I've tried and I've tried and I've tried. And they sing it every night. You can't find it. God's word reveals reveals to us where true soul-quenching satisfaction, where true eternal blessedness, where true lasting joy and happiness that's not temporal, that's not connected to circumstances, can actually be found, where you can actually experience that in your heart. Verse 1 tells us that line is describing somebody in a right relationship with God. It's telling us that true happiness, true joy, eternal blessedness is only found in a right relationship with God. That's what verse 1 is telling us. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. Now, when the Bible talks about fearing the Lord, it's not talking about somebody running around like, oh, God's like the boogeyman and I'm scared of him. That's not what it's talking about. It's describing, when you see someone fearing God, especially as we see that in the Old Testament, it's describing the heart of a man or woman who's giving God his proper place in my life as king. Submitting myself into his lordship. So the first question I want to ask to you this morning as we get into this text is, are you a God-fearing man? Are you a God-fearing woman? Are you a God-fearing person? Another way I want to ask that to you this morning is, are you saved? Are you saved this morning? Have you bowed your knee in submission to God in fear in the sense that you've taken your sins seriously in light of His holiness, that you've believed the gospel, that Christ came to be the curse for you on the cross, that He took your sin in in condemnation on Himself in your place? Have you trusted in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? If you've taken that posture before God, if you've feared God in that way, if you've stepped into a right relationship with Him in that way, what the Bible teaches us is that God has bestowed on your life eternal blessing. Like He's gifted you with a favorable position before Him in Christ for eternity. You're saved. You're blessed. That's something to rejoice in this morning. But if you have not trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've never taken that posture of fear before the Lord and stepped into a right relationship with Him, you're not blessed. You're still on a futile pursuit of happiness in this world. And the only true rest, the only true joy, the only true lasting peace and everlasting hope and everlasting life in this world can only be found in Christ. It's only by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone that you're going to find it. And the, and the good news is this. You can come to Christ today. If, you can't, if you're not someone who the Bible would call truly blessed because you've received Christ, that can change today. Now, you can receive that or you can reject it. But this morning, it's been laid before you. And you'll move through the rest of your life knowing that God has placed before you an opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as King. And you can reject it, but you're going to have to step around the resurrected, nail-scarred hand of Jesus that reaches out to you even this morning, offering you salvation, offering you eternal blessedness. If you know Christ this morning, if you do know Him, you're eternally blessed. You you get to, to exist in and you get to stand in forever the position of eternal blessedness. You're eternally in a favorable position before God as a child of God. You get to look forward to experiencing the eternal blessing of heaven forever and ever and ever. But between here and glory, between here and there, as a child of God, as we walk through this world in a continuous posture of fear before God, keeping Him in His rightful place in our life, Him reigning over different areas of our our life, all areas of life, what we get to do between here and experiencing that eternal blessing is we get to walk in his blessing in the here and now. We get to experience his blessing being poured out on our life in the here and now. But what I don't mean by that, because that can get confusing and muddled with a lot of what we call prosperity teaching in the world today, what I don't, what I'm not talking about is monetary blessing and material blessing. So that's great when God blesses us. With material things, and we give him the glory, and we try to use those as a conduit for his glory and invest in the kingdom of God. But that's not the great, that's not what makes being a blessed child of God a blessing. The blessing of walking as a child of God and the fear of God is experiencing the blessing of the Lord working in our life, changing us, transforming us, using our life. For his glory to make an impact on the lives of people around us. That's what makes being a Christian such a blessing as we surrender our life and walk in the fear of God. Do you want to experience that kind of life as a God-fear? That's not just grabbing your ticket and looking forward to the eternal blessing of heaven one day. But each day is walking in the blessing of God working in your life and using your life to make an impact on other people's life. Do you want to experience the blessing of living life as a God-fearer? Well, if you are, we need to learn some things. If you do uh, desire that, we need to learn some things from this passage. Four things that need to describe our life if we're going to experience that on a regular basis. Number one is this. A God-fearing man, and again, this is going to describe some things that are true about all of our life, and we can all apply to our life, but this is going to be geared towards men this morning. So, with that said, very very first thing. A God-fearing man, we need to understand, prioritizes his relationship with God. A God-fearing man prioritizes his relationship with God. A God-fearing man who's experiencing God's blessing in his life, who's experiencing God working in his life, who's experiencing God conforming his life more and more to the character of Christ, whose life as he walks in God's ways is becoming a blessing to people around him, is someone who prioritizes his relationship with God. That's true of everyone. That's true of every person who walks as a God-fearer. But... There is something special about the impact that a God-fearing man has as he prioritizes his relationship with God on the people in his home, on the people around him in his community, and on the people in his church. So let me ask you a question this morning. Do you prioritize your relationship with God? All the other things that we're going to look at this morning flow out of that. Do you prioritize your relationship with God? Now, a main piece of evidence that indicates in our life where the priority of my relationship with God falls in my life is the amount of time that I spend in God's word. Look at what he says there. He says, blessed is everyone who fears God, who walks in his ways. That's synonymous with his word. How do we understand the ways of God that we're to align ourselves with? By reading his word. He reveals his ways through his word. And the question I want to ask you this morning, do people around you sense a real sincere passion in your life for God, for Christ, and His Word, and His ways? You know, my kids know what I'm passionate about. My wife knows what I'm passionate about. You say, well, Pastor, I'm, I'm not a real, that word passion. I'm not a real emotional guy. I'm not a real passionate guy. Yes, you are. It's just a question of what you're passionate about. We're all passionate about something. There's something we're passionate about. There's something we're very informed about. There's something that you're very captivated by. There's something that you, all of us, would feel very comfortable at the drop of a hat talking about after this service if we were in conversation together. For some of us, it's sports. For some of us, it's politics or the news for some of us it's a hobby for some of us we'll talk about fishing at the drop of a hat and you'll talk about lures and baits and and all kinds of strategies that almost sounds like a foreign language to those of us who aren't entrenched in fishing like you are why why can you do that why can you talk like that because you got a passion for fishing because you spent a lot of time studying it and doing it it's a hobby that you prioritized in your life some of you Work obsessively on your swing. You spend a lot of time studying all the courses that you play. And you know exactly the, um, the amount of yards that, that it, it's between this shot and the, and the green and what kind of club that you need to use. And you know on this hole that, uh, that there's some water down there on the right that you can't see. And I need to hit the ball this way and it dog legs right. How do you know that? Because you studied that course. You studied the game. You've got a passion for golf. We're good about acquiring knowledge about the things we want to acquire knowledge about. We're good about being passionate about what we want to be passionate about. Men, our problem so often isn't a lack of emotion. It isn't a lack of passion. Our problem is a lack of affection for Christ. Be passionate about lures and bait. Be passionate about grilling. Be passionate about golf. Be passionate about good grief, the scouting report for the Florida Gators. But just make sure all of those passions are secondary to your passion for Christ. That your supreme passion in your life is Jesus Christ in His Word, in His Kingdom, in His ways. Your wife, your kids need a God fearing dad who prioritizes his relationship with Christ, who loves God's Word, who they hear talk about the things of God, in the ways of God, and in Scripture with joy and are seeking to walk in His ways. And that's important. That word joy is very, very important. You know why? Because our kids repeat our passions. My kids are gator fans in my house. They didn't even have a choice. Right? That's just kind of the culture that they grew up in. That's usually how it works. Sometimes we'll have kids go rogue, but most of the times, if your kids grow up in a Seminole house, they're going to be Seminoles. If they grow up in a bulldog house, they're going to be bulldogs. If they grow up in a bulldog and a gator, the spouse, you know, that's a confusing house. I'm not sure where they're going to land there. But most of the time, you know, you're rooting for one team. They're going to grow up rooting for that team. They catch your passion. My kids love music. You know why? Because they grew up in a house where they've heard a lot of music. They have parents that are very passionate about music. They're repeating our passions. And that reality should cause us to feel the weight of how significant it is that we're intentional about being passionate about Christ and His Word. That they sense that He's first place in my life. That they sense that I'm joyfully prioritizing my relationship with Him. That word joyful is key. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, We should give our children the impression that the most wonderful thing in the world is Christianity in Christ. And there's nothing in life comparable to being a follower of Him. I want my boys to see that in me. I want, to, I want them to see that kind of passion for Christ in His Word. I want my daughter to see that in me, a passion for Christ in His Word, that prayerfully she'll see in my heart that she'll look for in the, in the heart of a future potential husband one day who will make an impact on their family for Christ and for His kingdom and then on on their kids and then on their kids, like verse 6 says, on generations and generations and generations. I hope you're thinking that way as a God-fearing man about the impact that your influence and that your faith is having not just on your kids, but your kids' kids and their kids and their kids. Are you prioritizing your relationship with God in such a way that it's impacting right now future generations for Christ? I pray that my daughter will see that in me so she'll look for it in a future husband. And I'm committed to helping her do that. Very committed. Very, very committed. My main job is to team up with her to see to it that she has a biblically qualified, well-suited mate for marriage. And it's my job to protect her for any dude that wants to come along that doesn't have a supreme passion for Jesus Christ. And I'm not looking forward to the whole dating thing. I know it's coming, though. And I'm prepared. As best I can be. Now, I know it's like a southern thing to do. You know, when that boy comes over for the first time, you know, you got your gun collection out on the coffee table. Cleaning your guns. He comes in. Poor kid. Sits down. Cleaning your guns. You're saying things like, I'm not afraid to go back to prison. I just want you to know that. (laughs) And I, I hey, I got guns. I will probably I will probably do the same thing. I'll probably strategically put them on display when that time comes. But I'm not just armed with that kind of ammunition. I got questions. When that young man comes around my house, I'm going to begin to ask some questions. I'm going to ask, hey, what are you passionate about? Let me hear it. What book of the Bible are you studying right now? How many Ten Commandments can you name? Tell me how you're growing as a disciple. Tell me biblically speaking. Use some biblical support here. What is your intention in dating my daughter? Uh, help me with this. What, articulate the gospel. What is the gospel? You can't answer any of those questions. Get out of my house. You say, well, that's radical. That's extreme. This is a very extreme thing. A very important, extremely important thing. You want to pursue my daughter? You want to potentially be the father of my future generations? And you can't name a Ten Commandment? You can't articulate the gospel? It's my job to protect my daughter from that. But you know what? Before I get to the place where I'm kicking potential suitors out of my home, you know what my daughter needs between now and then more than any of that. She needs a father who she can sense in his life has a supreme, not a perfect father, but that she can sense has a supreme love and passion for Jesus Christ in the way that He talks, in the way that He walks, in the way that He lives and demonstrates the gospel daily in front of their lives. And I'm committed to do that. And I know many of you are as Well, well. here's the second thing that needs to describe my life. Uh, not only is it a prioritization of my relationship with God, number two, a God-fearing man is diligent in his work. Let's just look at this very quickly. Look again at verse 2. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. All right. So we, what we're doing here is we're focusing on the implied command here that as we follow as a God-fearer leads us to experiencing the blessing listed here being able to provide for our family. That's part of what it means to be a God-fearing man. And this applies to, to all of us. We're all called to be hard workers. God's Word calls us to work hard. That's that's the basic simple point that this is making right here. If you go back, this has always been God's design. It'd be a really good study for you to do on biblical manhood to go back and study the first man God created Pre-fall, before the fall and what do you find Adam doing in a sinless state in a sinless environment one of the things you find him doing is working hard you know what that means it means work isn't a result of the curse work isn't a result of the fall the toil and the, the, the strain and the hardship of work is a result of the fall and our attitude our fleshly attitude towards work is a result of the fall laziness is a result of the fall work is not a result of the fall so think about that that's The way God designed it, that's the way man was created and the way man functioned before the fall. And then the fall happens and everything changes. But what is happening with the gospel at work in our life? As a God-fearing person, the gospel is at work in you, restoring God's image in you, reversing the curse in you. We need to understand that. We need to understand that one of the main ways we image God is being a hard worker. That's going to look different at different stages of our life. But nonetheless, we should be hard workers, living out, obeying Colossians 3.23. And whatever you do, work heartily, ask for the Lord and not for men. And again, I'm talking to men a lot today, and I want to talk to you right now. This is not just a younger generational problem. It is. But all of us men need to be careful about the tendency and the proneness in our flesh to be lazy. Right. It's sin. And we need to fight against our heart when it runs in that direction. We need to pray that God will help us to slay laziness in our life. To not mail it in, to not phone it in, to not cut corners. And this is something that we need to pass on to the next generation. This is something that needs to be caught and it needs to be taught. And we're trying to do this in small ways in our home. Uh, My oldest daughter, she's got a job now. And so we have helped her understand the importance of having a part-time job and working hard and being a blessing to your employer for the glory of God. And also in our homes, our kids have chores. So right now, all of them have chores and kind of the weight of responsibility grows as they get older. Right now, all Max has to do, he feeds the dog. He's eight years old and his job is to feed the dogs every day. Sometimes he needs help remembering to do that. Um, But he feeds the dogs every day, gives them their water. That's his main job. And recently, Rebecca has also added to his list when she folds the laundry. It's his job to take that folded laundry and just put it in your drawer. Mom's doing the work for you. You just got to do the work of putting it away. So these are your chores. Work really hard at doing these things. We're trying to help them understand how to complete a task. I'm not kidding. Last week, he gave me a little illustration to share with you. Last week... He was wanting to go outside and play. And I said, Max, listen, do your chore. Feed the dogs. And also, we've asked you five times to put away the clothes over here that your mom folded. Go put those away for us, all right? And he grabs the clothes and he turns around and he says, Dad, are we like y'all's little butlers? <laughs> Have a seat, Max. Let's talk. Now, I think, he, I think he was like halfway being trying to be a funny man, but he was halfway being like... He was just being curious. He was trying to understand the purpose of doing work in the house. And it gave me an opportunity to sit down and to walk him through the why of how a young man learns to work hard, that we're made to work hard, that God's designed us to work hard. And that feeling that wants to put things off and procrastinate and cut corners, that's sin. That's not from God. That's not from His Spirit at work in us. And God's called us to be hard workers. All right, next thing. The last thing I wanted to say there is the importance of us not just teaching it to Max, but him catching that in our life. But the third thing is this. If you want to experience the blessed life of a God-fearer who makes an eternal difference with your life, next thing, you need to treasure and cultivate your family. God-fearing men treasure and cultivate their family. Now, we just talked about work, being a hard worker. Now, this passage helps us understand the most important work that we're called to do as men. This is really the heart of the passage, and we've covered this a couple times already, but chapter uh, it's actually the theme of chapter uh, 127 as well. But in verse 3 right here, it says, Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots. We're getting an inside look here at the home life of the family life of a God-fearing man. What it looks like. And here's what we see. His wife and his children are all benefiting from him walking in the fear of the Lord. From him prioritizing his relationship with God. They're presented here as vines, as olive shoots. These are pictures of fruitful things that grow and multiply. It's a picture of health. And cultivation on the part of the man is implied here because they're growing as vines and olive shoots in his home. And here's the point, men. We have the responsibility of cultivating an atmosphere in our home where our kids and our wife can flourish spiritually. That's our main work in life. Yes, we work hard at our job. Yes, we work hard to be a blessing to our employer and to society and to culture by being a hardworking man. But your most important job is what you clock into when you go home from that job. So whatever your career and whatever your job is, as important as that is, the way for you to provide for your family, that's really kind of, eternally speaking, your part-time job. And your full-time, most important job that you clock into is when you go home and walk through that door and cultivate an environment in your home where your children and where your wife can spiritually flourish. We're called to exhaust ourselves over seeking to be, men an Ephesians 5 husband that we're called to be. To exhaust ourselves we're cultivating an environment where our wives can grow spiritually by praying for her and with her, encouraging her in her spiritual walk, serving her with the attitude of Christ, putting her needs before my own. Are you dating your wife? Are you spending time with her? Are you setting aside? I know I said I wasn't going to beat you up. You know, and some of you are like, yeah, you didn't. That, you broke that promise. But I'm just trying to help. All of us need this. And by the way, time out wives, remember that the only 10 was Jesus. In Ephesians 5, it says we're supposed to be loving our wives like Christ loved the church. And Jesus is the only one who's a 10 at that. We're, we're doing the best we can by the grace of God. Nonetheless, guys, we have a responsibility to grow and to mature and to exhaust ourselves to create and cultivate an environment where our wives can flourish and grow, where she feels loved, where we never stop dating her and cherishing her. Do you set aside a portion of your income to do that? We Guys, we spend money on what's important to us. If I've got money for all of my hobbies and all the things that I like to do but don't have money to take her out, that's a priority problem. A God-fearing man cultivates his marriage. But then look at the children in this passage and in this picture of the home. It says they're like olive shoots. These olive shoots that are... If you've seen a picture of this, there's a big olive tree and at the bottom these shoots are coming out. When I looked at it this week... I grew up in the South, so at first it looked like switches to me. Kind of brought back some bad memories. But it's these olive shoots coming out of this tree, and it's a picture of fruitfulness, of vitality, of life, of potential. They're about to burst into bloom. And it's this wonderful picture, this reminder of of these kids gathered around a godly, God-fearing dad who's investing in them, nurturing them spiritually so that they can grow in the Lord. And here's what that looks like. Let me fire off in good old Baptist fashion five quick keys as to what this looks like. Number one is prayer. And that's something you can continue to do and you should continue to do even if your kids are out of the house. We can pray for them. Number two, provide for them. already talked about that. But not just physically, spiritually. Protect them. Not just physically, but Spiritually. And this is something us young dads, we got to remember as we're in the throes of our careers and trying to work hard and trying to provide for our family, we can forget the importance of the fourth P, which is to play with them. To spend time with them. And that doesn't stop when they move into the preteen years or the teenage years. It looks different. But to walk in their room and spend time with them and talk with them and go do something with them. Even with all the eye rolls and you're you sensing that they kind of look at you as lame dad. That's just part of the teenage years. They're going to feel that way. But you know what they're always going to remember? They're going to remember a dad who, even in the midst of that, kept pursuing them and pushing close to them and spending time with them. And then the fifth one's the most important, P. So you got pray, provide, protect, play. Fifth one's most important, point them to Jesus. Point him to Jesus with your actions. Point him to Jesus when you get it right. Hey, it wasn't me. It was Jesus. It's all about him working in my life. Point him to Jesus when you get it wrong. He's the one who will never fail you. He's the one who is perfect. We also don't just need to, to demonstrate Jesus in the gospel. We need to actually talk to them about the gospel. You say, well, I don't feel equipped. I'm not a pastor. I don't know how to talk to my kids about the gospel. We'll always keep this in mind. God knew that when he entrusted those olive shoots to you. And his grace is greater than what you, where you feel insufficient. And where you feel weak, as you step forward in faith... He'll make you strong, and He'll give you the words to say. And don't overthink it. If you're a Christ follower, if your life is collided with the gospel, you do the best job that you can as you're continuing to prioritize your relationship with God, to talk to them about the things of God, to talk to them about the gospel. They need to hear about the gospel from you. They need to hear about the problem of sin in a way that they can understand it. They need to understand the problem of brokenness and sin in the world and the problem of brokenness and sin in our life and how that separates us from God. They need to hear from you. You need to explain to them as their dad, as their mom, what, uh, the solution that God gives us to solve that problem of sin, of how He sent His only Son to come die on the cross and how by grace, through faith in Christ alone, they can experience life and not eternal death. They need to hear that from you. Just, you cannot farm that out. We can farm out a lot of different things in the lives of our kids. They got algebra problems, you can farm that out. If it wasn't for my wife being good at math, I promise you, we'd be farming that out. I'm, I'm horrible at that kind of stuff. Your kid, if your kid needs a little help with his baseball swing, you can farm that out to a coach. You can help them. It's not God's design, though, for you to farm out the spiritual development of your kids. I want you to know we are committed to continuing to take the resources that God has blessed us with to continue to cultivate our younger generational ministries in a way that hopefully is a blessing to your life and your family's life. My vision for our kids' ministry and our student ministry is to have a vibrant student ministry to continue to have a vibrant kids' ministry that is teaching kids the gospel, that is teaching our kids God's word, an exciting Younger generational ministries that are young families and that our kids are proud of and you want to invite your friends, you want to invite your uh, uh, families that you know to come and experience. But don't farm out the spiritual development of your kids to our kids' ministry and our student ministry. Sometimes, because of broken situations, we may have to step in and carry a lot of the weight there. And we're willing to do that. But that's not God's design. We're here to supplement your efforts as you own the discipleship of your family, the spiritual formation of your family. We're we're like Home Depot. You can do it. We're here to help. We want to come alongside of you. We want to come alongside of you to support you because God has given you that responsibility. We're not here to beat up on you. We're we're here to to help you up and to pull you in and to walk with you as as a family that God's given us. To help you be a God fearing parent who's raising your kid and nurturing and admonition of the Lord. All right. So, God fearing man treasures and cultivates his family. The fourth thing, fourth and final thing. So, it's not only entailing us prioritizing our relationship with God, being diligent in our work, treasuring and cultivating our family. Fourth, a God fearing man participates in Christ's church. Look at verse five and six. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children peace upon Israel. Now you may be looking at this verse going, where in the world does it say anything there about me participating in the church? Well, Zion here refers to the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem and Israel mentioned here. But it's not referred as much to the geographical location as it is the people of God. This is a prayer that people are praying here for the community of God to experience the blessing and prosperity and peace of God. This is also what's called, you may see it in your subheading there underneath that, what's called a psalm of ascent. So the city of Jerusalem was situated on a high hill, and uh, these Jews, as they would travel from the outlying areas up this hill, ascend the steep hill to the city of Jerusalem three times a year for the annual uh, festivals would sing these songs, these prayers, these songs of ascent as a community of faith. And this is one of the songs that they would sing. And they're, they're praying, they're singing that the community of God would experience the peace and the prosperity of God. In other words, big picture, they had a heart for God's people. We see that right here. And ultimately we know that what they're praying for, long after this chapter is written, that through the people of Israel, through the offspring of Abraham, a Messiah is going to come into the world and answer the prayer that they're praying right here. And Jesus Christ on the cross and through His resurrection brings the the ultimate prosperity and the peace to the sinful soul of anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord for salvation, whether it be Jew or Gentile. And one day He's going to return. He's going to set up a kingdom that will bring ultimate peace, ultimate prosperity to this world and to His people. But in the meantime, God's people are found where in this earth? In the church. And in the same way thousands... Of years ago, you see these God-fears have this heart for their community of faith. So should we have a heart for God's people on this earth, a.k.a. the church. And it's His church. Again, this text is geared towards men. So men, I want to talk to you because of the unique impact that men who participate in the church have on that community of faith and in their family's life. Men who fear the Lord care about what God cares about, and what does God deeply care about? He cares about His bride, and so should we. I just got back from the Southern Baptist Convention, and if you've been following that. There's been a lot of debate about some churches in the convention who have had women serving in pastoral roles, and so... Uh, the convention voted this past week about whether or not to disfellowship with those folks from the network. And as your messenger, you know, I'll just tell you uh, that we voted in favor of them being disfellowshipped, right? That we believe that that is uh, a, a position that's reserved for male leadership according to Scripture. I do want to make something really clear, though, that we could not accomplish the mission that God has called us to accomplish without women leading in the home and in the church. Like There is a special, irreplaceable place where women serve in the home and in the church that's part of God's design that can't be replaced. But the New Testament is very clear that in the position of elder, pastor, and bishop that it is reserved for male leadership. But I was sitting there in the convention just thinking about this and wondering how many places that this is the case. I don't think it's the case everywhere. But I was wondering how many places would this not even be Something that's debated if men across America in the American church were stepping up and leading in a biblical way that God's called them to lead. And I just this morning, I want to brag on some of the men in our church. Here we are on Father's Day. Here comes the encouragement. I just wanted to say thank you to the godly men in our church who serve the bride of Christ so faithfully, who are seeking to serve in their homes faithfully, but also come to this church, to this local body, and have the heart of Christ for His bride who serve faithfully on our deacon body, Bible Connect teachers, prayer leaders, men who serve on different teams, men who are soul winners, men who come here and get filled up on Sunday and then scatter throughout this community and minister to the broken people in this community, sharing Christ with them, pointing them to Jesus and even bringing them back to the church that they love. How some of you are loving people in this church and serving people in this church, investing in people in this church in a variety of ways. Praise God for you. For the men in this local body who have a heart for this local body because they love Christ and they know how much Christ loves His bride and His church and you serve to honor Him. I want you to know God's using you to bless the lives of people in this local body. But as I was writing this message this week and as I was studying this text, I had to wonder what would it look like if more men among us More men among us stepped up as God-fearing men and began to participate in a passionate, joyful way in Christ's church. It's an eternal impact is what would happen. An eternal impact in your home, in our community, right here at the corner of Hips and Schindler, right here in our community of faith. Hey, and it would greatly impact your life. Maybe you're here this morning and you're a Christian, but you've kind of been pew-sitting, you've kind of been spectating. And it's it's, it's been far too long. It's time for you to begin to demonstrate your love for Christ by loving what He loves, His bride, and serving what He serves and loves so faithfully. And that's the church, the community of faith. Hey, you make yourself available. We'll put you to work. Maybe you're here this morning and you're kind of out on the fringes. And you're here on Father's Day, but your commitment level to church is kind of waned or it's just not there. Maybe you even think of things like, Hey, I get there when I get there. But, you know, I can catch up online. I can watch it on a screen. I want you to hear me this morning. You need to be here. You need to be worshiping Jesus with your church family. You need to be participating. You need to be serving the body. Hey, it's not only that you need to be here. We need you here. This is a family. Dane Ortland said this, Staying home to watch church is like staying home from a friend's wedding to watch the ceremony virtually and keeping the wedding gift with you. Your presence and solidarity and love and hugs and eye contact and singing are needed. It's not just about passively receiving something. It's an embodied part of the celebration. The whole event is diminished by your absence and you have a gift to give. So maybe you're a Christian. Maybe you've been a You're a Christian, but you've been a pew sitter. You've been a spectator. Maybe you've pushed away for whatever reason. You're missing out on the blessing that it is to participate in Christ's church. And whatever excuse you have for being a pew sitter or pushing away, it will not hold water. Church is Jesus' idea. So if you don't like it, you've got to take it up with Him. The local church is what God calls us to, to be plugged in regularly, weekly, serving here, pouring out our gifts here, gathering here, worshiping the Lord with our church family here, and then scattering from here out into the world to shine the light of the gospel. But this is home base. This is our refueling station. And this is the place that helps us get the help that we need. One of the main things God gives us is a blessing in our life to help us be the God-fear that He's called us to be. We need this family. We need to be committed to it and to serve it and to participate in it. We're like a big dysfunctional family that needs each other. And all of us got our different levels of dysfunction. I love that about God's church. I love that about our church families. It's a place, a gospel-centered church is a place that you don't have to pretend. In a message like this, you may... You may feel the sting of some of this stuff. You may feel like you're falling short of God's design. You may feel like you've failed as a parent. You may feel like you're dropping the ball as a dad or as a husband. You may feel ashamed about where you're at in your life with a lot of these things. Maybe you feel guilty and convicted about how you've drifted away from church and haven't been serving in the bride of Christ. How you haven't been prioritizing your relationship with God. And it stings. And you may wonder, where do I go from here? You are in the right place this morning. This is a place where it's okay to not be okay. Hey, this is, we're a family. And the gospel frees us in our gospel-centered family right here to be real with one another, to be transparent, to admit our parenting mistakes, to admit our weaknesses. And it's that kind of transparency in this family as we press in, as we participate, as we serve, as we're here, as we're involved. It's the kind of transparency that we experience and the realness that we experience as we do those things that helps us grow as followers of Christ. I've had some of you, someone recently, someone retired, someone, a senior adult, someone who their kids have grown up and they've moved out of the house... You put your hand on my shoulder recently and you said something on the lines of hey pointing at one of my kids enjoy them when they're this age don't take this time of life for granted as busy as you feel because it's going to fly by and it's going to be gone That's right And then you said this I didn't always get that right Thank you for reaching back and discipling me, not just with your successes, but even with your failures. We're, hey, we're a dysfunctional family of God who, by God's grace, we're a work in progress that He's working on. It's a place where it's okay to not be okay. It's never okay to stay not okay. And this church family helps us move forward and to mature in our faith and become the god fears that God has called us to be. So don't push away from the church family. Press into it. Participate. Serve. Invest. And let's grow together. Because you know what? We're all saved by the same amazing matchless grace. And we're a bride that is flawed. But we have a Savior that's continuing to work in our life in spite of our rebelliousness, in spite of our weaknesses. And He's going to finish the work that He started in us. He is going to finish the work that He has started in your life. And one day you will stand in His presence as a glorified, God-fearer, free of the penalty and power and presence of sin. And in the meantime, a gift that He's given you to help you grow as you move towards that wonderful day is the church family. Participate in Christ's church. And may by God's grace... He make us some more God-fearing people who prioritize our relationship with Him, who work hard for His glory, who treasure and cultivate our families well, who participate in His church, and by His grace and by His power, leave a lasting mark for eternity in this community and in our homes, not just for the next generation, but for their, their children and their children and their children. Let's pray.